hear you sharing your original moments, and that there was some laughter there. There were some things that were also bringing joy uh, to you. You know, sometimes our original moments can be that moment where we fell on our face, but somehow God brought something good out of it, brought some grace there. So it's really good to hear you sharing. Uh, This morning, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to be there for several weeks because we're starting a series tonight, or today, it's still daytime, on the Lord's Prayer and uh, how this is a prayer for every day. And so I'll begin reading in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Jesus is giving some teaching on prayer. And he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and close the door. Pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Today in churches, like literally today in churches, all around the world, followers of Jesus have prayed what we call the Lord's Prayer. Even people who've not made it a habit to gather with the church have found the Lord's Prayer to be powerful for their lives. Kurt Vonnegut, who is the author of Slaughterhouse-Five, he called himself a Christ-loving atheist. I don't know how, but that's his self-definition, a Christ-loving atheist. And here's what he had to say about the power of the Lord's Prayer. He said, while Einstein's theory of relativity may one day put Earth on the intergalactic map, it will always run a distant second to the Lord's Prayer whose harnessing of energies in their proper life-giving direction surpasses even the discovery of fire. Wow. Have you paid that much attention to the Lord's Prayer? The Lord's Prayer harnesses energies into their proper life-giving direction. You know, there is immense competition for the energies of our lives. But Jesus has given us a gift. The Lord's Prayer can be a guide for our conversation with God and even for the spiritual formation of our lives and relationships. 
followers of Jesus through the years have prayed and included the Lord's Prayer in their morning routines, reading it or saying it, and then letting the Spirit of God draw them to a phrase that corresponds with something in their heart, in their mind, in their soul, and even their body. Simone Veil, who writes so eloquently about her life with Christ, says this, I recited the Our Father, that's the Lord's Prayer, I recited it in Greek every day before work, and I repeated it very often in the vineyard. Since that time, I have made it my practice of saying it through each morning with absolute attention. If during the recitation my attention wanders or goes to sleep to the smallest degree, I start again until I've succeeded in going through it with absolute pure attention. Sometimes, she says, I say it out of just pure joy and delight. The effect of this practice is extraordinary, and it surprises me every time. For although I experience it each day, it exceeds my expectation at each repetition. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer for every day. This prayer recorded in both Matthew and Luke has been given to us by Jesus, and it comes as a profound plea that the disciples made. They came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, they didn't ask, Lord, teach us how to cast out demons. They didn't ask how to start a revolution. They didn't ask, how should we preach properly, Jesus? All of these things are things that they saw Jesus doing. But they also observed his prayer life. And so they came with a plea, Lord, teach us how to pray. Show us how to pray. You're our rabbi. Show us how to pray. Teach us. So then the Lord's Prayer, or the Our Father, as it's called in some decision, traditions, could also be called the Disciples' Prayer because it's been given to us. We are the followers of Jesus. We are His disciples. And so this could be called the Disciples' Prayer. I think when Jesus gave it to them, He recognized that they weren't actually looking for a technique They weren't looking for better techniques. They were actually yearning for a depth to relationship that they observed that Jesus had with his heavenly Father. That Jesus had a depth and an intimacy with the heavenly Father that they lacked. And so they wanted to pray because they recognized that prayer was the the pathway and the way in, perhaps that Jesus himself would provide for them. Jesus would later say of his intimacy with the Father, the Father and I are one. And so he knew he needed to pray. But do you know I think Jesus also needed to pray because he observed how easily in our human lives we are drawn away from the source of true life into other ways. And maybe the disciples were catching on to that, that in the life of prayer, they would also 
escape the corruptness of this generation, the rottenness of the generation. Do you know we keep a fruit bowl beside our refrigerator? And after a while sometimes I notice there's a, an essence to the fruit bowl. It smells a little too fruity. And then there's fruit flies. And so I dig through the fruit, and of course, what do I find? There is one rotten piece of fruit in the bottom, and its rottenness is spreading. So that once I removed what was at the top, I found in it that there was more that needed to be removed. Somehow, the Lord's Prayer brings us deeper into the corners and recesses of our lives where there's meant to be fruit, but we find something rotten. And so I hear in their request, Lord, teach us to pray, that they wanted an endearing, enduring relationship with God, a relationship that approached the height and depth and width and breadth of Jesus' lived relationship with the Father. Later, the Apostle Paul would describe the immense love of God using these very same words and then would suggest that Jesus Christ himself makes this love available to us. And it's available for the asking. So while Jesus is a spiritual teacher, he's showing us that the spiritual life is lived in our bodies. Do you have two bodies? Some of you might say, I have two minds. But you only have one body. You only have one body in which to live your life, rooted in community. And we must take up our relationship with God, with self, with people, and with the stuff of earth. And this prayer, in this prayer, Jesus doesn't in any way instruct us to ignore our bodies, our desires, our relationships, our needs, quite the contrary, as we'll see in the coming weeks. He shows us what we definitely need. The Lord's Prayer, as many scholars and writers have observed, including Tyler Staten in our book recommendation for the summer. Who has it? Do you have it yet? Oh, it's a few more hands. A few more hands. This is our summer reading book recommendation. Pray like monks, living like fools. And in it, he notes that Jesus' words are not completely original to him. That these words that Jesus gives us in the Lord's Prayer actually come out of a hymn of praise, a Kadesh, that was regularly used in Jewish worship. In the Kadesh, in in Jewish worship, this song would magnify God and call for the sanctification of God's name in his people and in all creation. And so Jesus takes that prayer and goes, here, sweetened condensed milk. Oh, mm, so good. You all like sweetened condensed milk, don't you? Yeah. And so Jesus is giving it to us right there, the condensed version that can fit into our minds and our hearts and be remembered easily that then would draw us into the depths of our lives. 
So Jesus leads them into what's familiar to them, pairs it down, and then invites them into a dynamic relationship with God. In Luke, he says, this then is how you should pray. Now, the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, after the address, our Father, has three imperatives, commands. Now, turn to your neighbor and give them a command. Let's see what it sounds like. I I know it's like that, right? It's the, hey, you, do this, right? That's a command. Stop. Do this. Can you imagine Jesus is inviting us to give a command to God? Wow, that seems crazy. We're going to give commands to God? But do you know that this is what children do? I was laughing this morning because uh, Sam meets me and he says, Craig, that's a really nice shirt. And then immediately uh, his his son grabs my hands and wants to walk up my body. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going to have feet prints on my shirt. (laughs) Do you know, he just did it. Impulse, wanting to do it. And Jesus is saying, address God as if you're his child. He is our father. You are his children. Address him like a child who has security and attachment in their relationship with their parent, their love and affection. Three commands. Be hallowed. Come. Be done. Your name be hallowed. Your will, kingdom, come. Your will be done. And then comes the phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. It's the centerpiece of the prayer, and even of the whole Sermon on the Mount, on earth as it is in heaven. The whole sermon hinges on this phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. And then it's followed by four more commands. Give, forgive, lead us not, and deliver us. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation or trials. Deliver us from the evil one. These are all in a command imperative form in front of God. Why? Because we need these. The first three direct us toward the name and kingdom of the will of the Father. These are the spiritual essentials of every disciple. However, these will not be accomplished by our will, our might, or our goodness as disciples. These will only be accomplished because God has the power to do it. God has the power to make his name holy among us. God has the power to bring his rule and reign among us. He has the power to do his will. So the prayer, while commanding God, is actually inviting us to yield to God in his power and his provision. Don't we need to be reminded to yield to God every day? How quickly we forget Don't we need to open our lives to the graceful rule and reign of God every day? The Lord's Prayer is a prayer for every day. The last three commands direct us towards the basic spiritual necessities of human flourishing. Give, forgive, lead us not, and deliver us. Give us bread 
our daily practical sustenance. Forgive us our debts and trespasses because in our relationships with each other, we're walking all over each other's boundaries all the time. And even with God himself. Lead us not into temptations, the pursuit of ways that undo the work of kingdom of God. And then deliver us because we walked into the trap of the evil one. Deliver us because we were vulnerable and the evil one is reaching out at us. Is there a day of the week when you would not want provision? Is it Monday? I mean, by Sunday afternoon, many of you feeling the dread of going to work on Monday. Maybe it's Wednesday. Friday? Friday. There is no day of the week when you don't need or want any of these things. See, the Lord's Prayer is a prayer for every day. We do worry about prayer, don't we? We get anxious about how we're talking to God for getting it right. Daryl Johnson observes that most of us have some kind of anxiety of getting it right when we're talking to the creator of the universe. And I'm always impressed with adults who, when I listen to them pray, seem to carry with them a sincere, childlike ease when it comes to speaking with God. And then there's some of us who, like Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, feel that we've come into a season in our life where we're not sure that prayer works. We're not sure that God is actually listening. We're not sure that anything is going to change if we pray. But see, to pray is to love. To pray, then, is to change. The theologian Karl Barth said, to clasp the hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. And I would add, particularly, prayer is an uprising against the disorder of our own hearts. And I know that those of us who come from evangelical Protestant traditions were nervous about written prayers, aren't you? You're nervous about written prayers. But here it is. By the grace of God, we have a written prayer. And Jesus says, pray this way. So the Word of God is full of written prayers. We have a book in the Bible in the middle called Psalms. It's a collection of written prayers. And these are given to us as a prayer course. These are given us as guides of the Spirit of God in which the Spirit Himself will use these to form us as the people of Jesus. Now, we may be nervous that written prayer could become a ritual. And there's no harm, actually, in ritual. There is harm in ritualism. In ritualism, the actions, the forming of words in our mouths become detached from the meaning and the affections of our heart and the thoughts of our mind. We may be lulled into this when we say our prayers rapidly. I remember going to visit Ireland and going to Mass on a Sunday, and I was astonished. One, the Irish accent sometimes though my family had the accent, was difficult to understand. But in Mass, I was astonished at how quickly 
they could say the Lord's Prayer. It could be said really quickly. And I couldn't keep up. I couldn't say it that fast. But saying it fast, getting it done, isn't the thing. That's what ritualism lulls us into. I did my bit. And so having warned his disciples in the beginning of this passage about babbling like pagans, about praying in order to be seen, he's warning them about these rituals that we go through without a connection to God, without a connection to heart and mind. So God intends for us to engage deeply with Him. So while the Spirit of God may carry us with groans and with ecstasy of tongues, there is a formative work that must be accomplished with our minds and in our hearts. And so we pray like this, the way Jesus said. And I'll say it again. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer for every day. For the next two months, while we're in this series at least, I would encourage you to pray every day, to pray morning, noon, and evening. In the evening, while you're laying on your bed, give thanks. At noon in the middle of the day, engage quickly with the Lord to intercede and pray for someone who's lost, who's not yet following Jesus. But in the morning, would you bring the full breadth and width and depth and height of the Lord's Prayer to bear in your life? Would you begin to pray the Lord's Prayer every morning? For some of you, it's going to be an add-on to what you're already doing. You're adding it on to your daily readings. You're going to add it on to your use of Lectio 365. But it's a good add-on. It's worth it. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer for every day. Can you imagine what it would be like for us as a congregation to pray the Lord's Prayer every day? The kinds of things we would ask? The ways our imagination would be sanctified so that we would begin to imagine what would it be like if this people saw the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. That if every day we began to stretch our lives and hearts to see that God would do these very things, it would be a bit of heaven on earth. The hallowing of His name as it is in heaven the establishment of his kingdom in us as it is in heaven, the doing of his will as it is done in heaven, the sustenance of life given to us as it is in heaven, the forgiveness of sin as it is in heaven, the directions needed, O oh Lord, help me, as it is in heaven the deliverance from the evil one as it is in heaven. Where will all of this take place? On earth. On earth. 
where you live and walk and carry yourself. That's where. Heaven is not meant to be far off. For Jesus has come close. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's as close as your breath. I tell you that if we become a people who genuinely pray and are genuinely rooted in the love and power of God, we will find that we are animated for mission and justice. One of the accusations of Christians is, oh, there you all go again, just praying. Someone's been shot, and you pray. Someone starts a war, and you pray. Someone's starving, and you pray. Yes, we pray, because most of us have stingy minds, and we need the abundance of heaven, the abundance of heaven to grieve with those who lament and loss, the abundance of heaven so that we can offer our lives and not just hold on to our stuff, the abundance of heaven that we're willing to step in and bear our cross, for the cross is what puts us in conflict with the state. It is a symbol of capital punishment. And unless you will pray and enter the depths of the love of God, it's hard to bear a cross. So one more time, let's pray. Will you join me? Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.